Hallelujah, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Ideally, no one, right? But actually, Peter, to answer your question, as you know and I know, lots of folks. When a Supreme Court justice votes to overturn Roe v. Wade, a man comes to his house to assassinate him. When a baker or a florist stands up for God's definition of marriage as the one flesh union of one man and one woman, they are attacked sued, and put out of business. When parents go to a school board meeting to speak against the ideology being taught to their children, they are called terrorists, arrested, and demagogued. Pregnancy centers and churches have been spray-painted with vile and hateful words. And maybe you have felt this in your own life. Harm done to you, either physically, mentally, or emotionally, just because you were trying to do what is good and right. You spoke the truth, the truth, the good truth of God's word. But that truth was not welcome. Because there are different, different definitions of what good means today. Oh, there is overlap, certainly. Some things everyone would agree are good, like don't kick the dog, take care of your family, help little old ladies across the street. Maybe we could call those things simply being civil. But even those go out the window today in those areas where we disagree. For those things I just mentioned that we call good, many call evil. And those ideologies being promoted today thought good by many. We call evil. So it is no secret that there is a battle going on in the world today for the hearts and minds of people. And as in any battle, there are going to be casualties. Harm done to those who are zealous for good. Which Peter acknowledges in the very next sentence. He's not naive. He lives in a time when Christians are being persecuted. He himself was harmed. Finally, executed for doing what is good. Proclaiming the gospel. So while we shouldn't be harmed for doing good, the reality is we are because we live in a world that was created good, but which has been plunged into sin. A world once of love and life, but now of harm and death. A world that continues only because the love and care of its creator intervenes. Who allows the sin and evil, harm and death to go only so far. So that there still be goodness, life, and love in this world. 
given by him, worked by him, which there is. That's why Peter goes on to say, but even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. But blessed not in some general sense of being blessed like how we often or maybe usually think with those material things we want or happiness. But what if I pronounced it this way? You will be blessed. You are among the blessed, even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake. They will not conquer you or defeat you. Because you belong to the one who has already won the victory and has promised you the victory. Things may not be easy. You will have crosses to bear. But you have a life they cannot take away. So Peter says, have no fear of them, nor be troubled. He was once, remember that, in the courtyard of the high priest with the people there, when he denied even knowing Jesus three times, he was quite fearful and troubled. And then he did it again, even after the resurrection in the city of Antioch, when he wasn't acting as he should because of fear, and Paul had to call him out. Peter struggled with this just like we do. When our fears get the better of us, and we don't speak and live like we know we should. But we don't have to be that way. We don't have to be afraid when the tomb is empty. Jesus' tomb empty now and your tomb empty one day too. What we're afraid of that looks so big and powerful, we look to Jesus and see that while these things may look so big and powerful, more big and powerful than us, They are not bigger and more powerful than him. Jesus conquered them and is on your side. So have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts regard Christ the Lord as holy, the holy and living one, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Now, to many people, that sounds pretty intimidating. Like we have to have an answer to every single question that anyone asks us. We have to know it all. But I don't think that's what Peter means here, which I'll get to in a moment. But he says, he goes on, when we talk to people, do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience. So that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. That's a good reminder for us who may be tempted to think that if they blast us, we get to blast them. If they're loud, we have to be louder. Otherwise, we won't get results. 
But wasn't it the still, soft voice that spoke to Elijah that was louder than earthquakes and windstorms? And wasn't it the still, soft voice of Christ from the cross that spoke of forgiveness and paradise? That wouldn't revile in return for reviling, that wouldn't curse those who cursed him? Shock and awe may be the way of the world, but gentleness and respect is the way of the gospel. Which does not mean that we won't call sin, sin, and evil, evil. We will and we must. But when we get blasted, shock and awe, we will not become like them or adopt their ways. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And with those words, Peter has come full circle. He began with, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Well, they're out there, right? But it is better to suffer than to go along with their evil. Better, because it is the way of life. And evil is the way of death. So it doesn't look that way, right? If good brings suffering and suffering brings death. But if we try to avoid death and suffering, then what of the good? What of life? it too then falls away. So there must be something greater and another way of looking at these things, and there is. And not surprisingly, it's Jesus. So Peter continues, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. That is, Jesus' suffering and death brought the greatest good, life and salvation for all people. The one who was not only zealous for what is good, but was good incarnate, good in the flesh, had that flesh crucified by a world that did not want his good. But they could not stop it. They could not prevent it. Jesus, in the flesh, descended into hell and proclaimed his victory. Jesus, in the flesh, rose from the dead and showed his victory on earth. And then, as we will celebrate on Wednesday night this week, Jesus, in the flesh, ascended into heaven to reign as the king of life for the life of the world. So in Jesus, from suffering and death, came the greatest good. And for you too. For it is Jesus' suffering and death to which you are joined when you are baptized. That saves you and gives you life. That's what Peter went on to say. Pointing to Noah and his family who were saved from an evil world through water. He says, you too. Baptism now saves you. This water sent from God. 
saves you. For it is not an outward washing, but an inward one. A washing not of the body, but of the soul, of the conscience. For here in these waters is the resurrection of Jesus for you. Is the life of Jesus for you. Is the forgiveness of Jesus for you. The Jesus who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers having been subjected to him. And if that's true, and it is, that Jesus is on the throne and has all powers, all powers subjected to him, will he not work good for you? Will he not care for you? Will he not be for you? Of course he will. It's just that we have trouble believing it. Because we believe what we see more than what we hear. The actions and consequences of the world, they're real. The canceling, the criticism, the hurt, and the pain, and the words and promises of God, well, it seems so unreal. And maybe they would be if they were just words and promises. But they are words and promises that are anchored in an empty tomb. An empty tomb that proclaims Jesus alive and more powerful than whatever you are afraid of, whatever is threatening you. An empty tomb which fulfilled Jesus' promise that we heard today as well in the Holy Gospel when he said to his disciples, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And he did. And then this too, a helper. It sounds really good, doesn't it? Because on my own, on our own, we could never make it. But with a helper. A helper who is God himself. The Spirit of God who will not just help us for a little while, but whom Jesus sends to be with us forever. With such a helper, we have hope. And not just hope, but confidence. And not just confidence, but certainty. For if Jesus rose from the dead, what can he not do? What will he not do for his children? So this is your hope. This is the hope, the confidence, the certainty that is in us. So that if anyone asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, that's your defense. That's your answer. That Jesus is risen from the dead and I am baptized into him. And because he lives, I will live also. This is what Paul did in the reading we heard, the first reading. The people in Athens, they had this altar, right, to an unknown God. And Paul said, let me tell you about this God you don't know. And he told them about Jesus and the resurrection. Now, without the resurrection, Christianity is just words and morality and thoughts, just like any other religion of man, to be judged by its practicality and usefulness. And those churches in our world today that have given up the resurrection have followed that exact path. But with 
the empty tomb. It is much more. It is life. It is certainty. It is power and victory. It is utterly unlike any other religion of man in this world. All religions of man are based on the power of thoughts and words to motivate and elevate. But this here is the power of God to save and raise. So Jesus promised his disciples a helper and then said, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now there he's not talking about the Ten Commandments, although that's certainly true of them. Saved by Jesus and with his spirit, we will desire to keep the commandments which tell us and teach us what is good and how we should live. But because of our sinful nature, we can't. Not perfectly, not all the time, not in every way. But there are other commandments Jesus gave, like baptize, confess, hear, Eat and drink my body and blood. These things which give us Jesus and his life and forgiveness and salvation. This is what Jesus wants us to do most of all. For here we receive him and his gifts. And only by receiving him and his gifts, his spirit and his love, can we then go out and love others as he has loved us, and give them an answer to the hope we have, pointing to Jesus and the empty tomb, that they too might know the God who to them right now is unknown, but who wants to be known by them. Save them too. So maybe there are some who want to harm you. Maybe you will have to suffer for doing good, And for the faith that you have. Maybe you will be canceled and threatened and mocked. For not going along with what we are being told today is the truth and good. Maybe all that is already happening to you. But none of that. None of that. Can change this fact. That Christ is risen. And has won the victory for you and gives his victory to you. The world, the devil, and even your sinful flesh cannot have you and cannot win. You are baptized. You belong to Jesus. And what we cannot see but believe now, you will one day see. Jesus at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, all subjected to him. What are you afraid of? Do not fear, nor be troubled. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. And you are baptized into him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.